Well, good morning. Yeah, it's a good morning, isn't it? You know when, well, you don't know this. I'll tell you, as part of the sermon preparation, part of what we do is we get quotes together. And you do that a bit earlier in the week as you're reading and studying and getting everything ready. And I always have this moment as I'm up here letting those play out where I think, gosh, that was a lot of words. <laughs> and so sometimes I feel like, oh, those quotes went on for a while. But let me tell you, it's because as I was preparing and studying this week, all of it was like, ooh, that's really good. Ooh, that's really good too. So I'm aware that maybe our quotes were a little lengthy today, but I feel like there's so much as we talk about the life of Moses and as we step into this teaching series that we're in through the month of July, Moses, Jesus, and the spaces in between. It's so exciting for me. Maybe, I hope it's also so exciting for you. Maybe we'll get there together. I know it's a little bit early on a Sunday, but welcome to week two of Moses, Jesus, and the space in between. And we're taking the month of July. We do this modeling where we um, often in the summer take time to head back to the Old Testament and look at the characters that were there from the beginning of the biblical narrative. And we've worked our way through and we're in the, in the book of Exodus as we look at the life of Moses. And we're using this month as an opportunity to highlight some voices in our community, some of our other pastors who are excellent teachers who you don't, don't get to hear as often because they're busy leading our other parishes. And so I'm excited in the weeks to come for you to hear from some of those people as well. If you were with us last week or if you caught it, Jeremy, our Perry Sound pastor, did a fantastic job. Um, yeah, we can clap. Jeremy, look at this. Two weeks in a row, people are applauding for you. It's fantastic to kind of journey through this together. So uh, we're jumping a little bit all over the place. We've chosen not to take this series through like book by book by book or chapter by chapter by chapter, but looking rather at what themes do we see rising up. And so I want to take us back to the beginning of the book of Exodus. That's where we're going to be. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be jumping around a bit. And this is one of those great weeks where you might want to keep it open because we're going to just kind of highlight a few of the verses. Uh, Exodus, if you're not as familiar with your Bible, is the second book of the Bible. So it goes Genesis and then Exodus right away. So it'll be near the beginning of your Bible. Or by now, most of us are looking at it on our phones. So you can just scroll and find Exodus. Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going. But before we get to the life of Moses, we have to do a little bit of a history lesson. We got to go back a bit to get where we're headed today. And where I want to take us is to kind of that sense of like, how did we get here? How did we get to Exodus chapter one? And so we're going to backtrack a bit to the story of Genesis. And the story of Genesis holds so much of God's character, his intention for his people, for us as his people. But the weaving I want us to follow, the thread of the story that I want us to look back on is the covenant promise that God made. God made this promise with the Israelites, who he says are his people. And that started with Abraham. So I want to take us, you'll see here, there's a bit of a roadmap that this is just high level. This takes us through the book of Genesis. And we have Abraham, we have Isaac, we have Jacob. Out of Jacob, we get the 12 tribes. And then out of that, we get Exodus. So walk with me. This is sort of where it started. God started by promising to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. If you're familiar with the story of the Bible, this will be a familiar story for you. But if you're not, it's so beautiful and exciting. Back in Genesis, God meets with Abraham and says, through you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. There will be, look at the stars in the sky. There will be more People in your gen, because of you, the, the generations that will come will be more than what you can even see in the stars in the sky. This is my promise to you that I will bless you, I will bless your people, and I will make you a great nation. Abraham has a son named Isaac, Isaac has a son named Jacob, and all along the way, God reaffirms this promise 
saying, I have made a covenant promise with you. A covenant is an agreement, it's a promise to bless you, to bless my people through you. And if you're in home church, this is one of the questions that you're gonna land in this week is to go back and read those passages of scripture and remind yourself of this story because it's so important, this weaving of God's promise through his people. Even if you're not in home church, you have access to the questions. They're part of the teaching notes. I'd encourage you to land on that one at least. It allows you to get going through your scriptures a little bit and learn of this promise that God weaves through his people. So Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, one of whom is Joseph. We've talked about Joseph a lot last summer. We did that and out of those 12 sons came the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. These were the people of Israel. And out of the 12 tribes, that leads us into Exodus. And you can see um, in Exodus chapter one, verses six and seven, this is sort of the starting point of the story. This is kind of summing up what I just tried to quickly sum up. So now Joseph and all his brothers, all those 12, him and his 11 brothers, and all of that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in number, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So this is the start of where we find ourselves today. The people of Israel, the 12 tribes, they were all living in Egypt because of Joseph, because of the famine, because of where they landed. If you want that story, the end of Genesis tells the story. And this is where it picks up where it says, that generation has all died. But the Israelites kept growing and increasing in number. And that, that is one of those markers that indicates the promise that God made that says, I will exceedingly bless you and your people will become great. And this is what continued to happen. God, through this promise, was already modeling a new way to say this, my way, my relationship with you is not about power. It's not about empire. It's about working with you as my people through relationship. And so that's where we find ourselves starting the story. But then this is where the story takes a turn. And when, if you're in Exodus chapter one, if you look at verse eight, you see this is the start of the new chapter of the Israelites' story, one of oppression, one of slavery, one where they did need to live under power. Verse eight says this, then a new king whom Joseph, to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. So all of these years, there was a relationship with the Pharaoh and the Israelites, and they were living peacefully in the land. But there was no longer now going to be favor for the Israelites. Their story takes a turn, and if you follow in verse nine, this is what that king, this is what that Pharaoh has to say. He says, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us, and we must deal with them shrewdly, uh, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, they'll be against us. So this begins the years of slavery and oppression for the Israelites because the king saw that they had become so numerous. He was fearful of what these people might do if a war were to break out. And so the way that he chose to do this was to uh, make a plan to kill any baby boy that was born to an Israelite. This was his plan to stop their growth, to stop their multiplication, was to say any boy that's born to a Hebrew that's a, as a, that's a boy, kill them. And this was their plan to, uh, to stop that growth and he put the Israelites into slavery. The new Pharaoh reversed 
this promise that God gave the Israelites, this promise to be fruitful, to multiply, and to be blessed. He intersected it, and instead, part of their story now was going to include slavery and oppression, and they became the brick builders, and they lived for years and years in slavery. So that's the history lesson to recap. And the thing that I want us to know then, I want you to hold on to as we now look at the life and story of Moses, because this undergirds all of it, is that promise that God gave to his people. That promise that started back at the beginning of Genesis, that there is a legacy and a foundation of the covenant promise of God to his people. Even in these years that we're about to see of slavery and oppression, that promise is very present and has never left. Okay, we're gonna fast forward a bit to Exodus 2, <clears throat> and we're gonna start looking at the story of Moses. Moses' birth was one that was done in this very tumultuous time, this time when they were looking to kill any Israelite baby boy that was born. And you can see at the end of chapter one, the birth of Moses is described. And guys, if we had time, I would love to spend some time talking about that birth. There are two fantastic women that are mentioned in the story, the midwives, Pua and Shifra. And they resisted the power of Pharaoh because they were fearful of God. They honored God and they said, what God has for us is more important than an order or an edict. And so baby boys that were born, they simply said, oh, these Hebrew women are so fantastic. They're giving birth before we can get there. And they saved the baby boys that were being born. They were like their own model of resistance. And I love it. And so you can see that the end of Exodus 1, but one of the baby boys that was born was Moses. So he's born and he's kept a secret. He's hidden because he's not meant to be alive. And he was kept with his family, but he became too old around three months to keep hidden anymore. And so to save him, his family. And for those of you that have walked in life at the church, you'll know this story. This is one of the best stories we tell even our littlest kitties is that they made a basket and they hid him and they sent him down the Nile River in hopes that his life would be saved and protected. And who, does, who finds him in that river? None other than the king's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter, the Egyptian king's daughter, the nation that was killing and oppressing the Israelites the highest of royalty is who finds this baby. And she finds him, but who's watching from the bulrushes is, is this baby's sister. And so she runs over to this princess and says, you know what, my mom can nurse this baby for you. Why don't I take him and we'll keep him for you and we'll, we'll, we'll nourish him for you. And Pharaoh's daughter thought this was a fantastic idea. And he stayed with his own family. His own mother got to nurse him and nourish him and watch him grow. Where she released him into the river, not sure what would happen to him, he was returned to her out of favor by God to watch him grow and protect him. And when he became old enough, they returned him to Pharaoh's daughter and he was raised in the house of the king of Egypt, a Hebrew baby who was never meant to survive. And he was brought back to Pharaoh's daughter and she gave him this name. And this is where we first see the name of Moses. Moses or Moshe in Hebrew. Pharaoh's daughter says, I give him this name because it means to be drawn out of the water. She said, I'm naming him Moshe because I drew him out of the water. I pulled him out of the water. And while that's literally true, there's a deep significance as we start to see the story and the calling of Moses in the name that he was given. He was delivered from he was saved from, he was pulled out of the water and this was the name he was given. 
we're already starting to see a theme and a purpose for Moses' life. He's been saved, he's been delivered, he's been pulled out. But as the story continues in Exodus chapter two, we see that he actually has no firm footing in his identity. He was given a name, but what does it mean to him? Now, as you know, because it shows up at the bottom of the screen when I teach, my name's Carmen, and it's spelled likely differently than any other way you would guess to spell the name. At least anyone I've ever interacted with, this is not their first guess. Never once has Starbucks gotten my name right on my order, I'll tell you that much. Um, but often, what people say to me the minute after I tell them how to spell my name, they're like, that is so beautiful. And all I can say back is, I can take no credit for that. <laughs> I didn't spell my own name. Shout out to my parents, way to go mom and dad. Um, but I can take no credit for those, whether you like my name or you don't like my name or the spelling of my name. I can take zero credit for often when people say, that's really creative, that's really beautiful. It goes to my parents. But never do people associate my name with my parents or my name is associated with me. And when people hear Carmen, the first thing they think isn't, Ron and Joan were so creative. I don't know what they're thinking. I hope it's all kinds of lovely things about me. But when people hear Carmen, what is evoked for them are things that make up my identity, even though I had nothing to do with my own name. And as we look at Moses, I think the same might be true. He didn't pick his own name. He didn't pick his own story of calling and purpose. And yet there was something within him that God had put in him to call him, as we're gonna see, to be someone who not only was delivered from, but is about to deliver. And the story of Moses is he grew up with the Egyptians, but he wasn't one of them. But he had this place of privilege, of power, and he had to observe his people live lives of oppression and slavery and harm. And I want us to read together verses 11 to 15, because this just highlights maybe that tension that Moses lived in. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he said to the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Moses has no identity. He's killed an Egyptian, but his own people don't embrace him for defending them. He is one foot in this land, one foot in this land, and he doesn't belong anywhere. So he runs and flees and lives in a foreign land. He doesn't fit in with his own people. He's hiding from those that he's killed. And so at this time, Moses is now living in Midian and he builds a life for himself. He's in there for 40 years. He's in this land for 40 years, gets married, has kids. And this whole time while he's living in this in-between wilderness kind of place, his people are living a life of oppression and agony and are crying out to God. And so even in this space, he's starting to craft an identity for who he is, but there's something likely within him that says, I still don't belong here. And you can see as we just continue down, 
uh, verses 23 to 25. This kind of sums up that period of Moses' life that he's now living in the wilderness in Midian. He's got a family. He's tending sheep. Forgotten from both sides. And verse 23 to 25 says this, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembering his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The underlying current of God's promise to his people is still here. And let's just imagine for the minute being those Israelites living in slavery, living in agony. It says in agony, they cried out and they groaned. And as a people, they would have heard stories of their forefathers, of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, and they would have been told over and over that they were God's people and there was a covenant promise. Now imagine for them that what that would have felt like for years to feel like they'd been seemingly forgotten, saying, where is this promise now? Where is your promise of blessing? Where is your promise of making us a people that are a great nation? Because right now we're not in our nation, we're in slavery and we're in oppression. And yet the undercurrent of God's promise had never left them and we're about to see that kick into gear once again. This is where it gets so exciting. So if you're tracking, you see the life of Moses and you see that he's now lived for a long span, just a quiet life, tending sheep. But that's all about to change because God has not forgotten his people. And so as we continue, we're gonna jump to chapter three for just a minute because this is the interaction that God has with Moses. Now we're not gonna spend a lot of time here because next week, Chris Chase is coming and this is where he's gonna sit. So while I'd like to take all of his spoilers, I'm a better person than that. And I wanna leave a little bit of the content for him, but there's something here as God talks with Moses that I think is so significant to this theme of the promise. So there's two verses in chapter three. I want us to look at verse six and verse 14. So God intersects with Moses through a burning bush, which in and of itself is kind of a crazy concept, but we'll leave that for next week. So you're not gonna to wanna to miss that. But God is talking with Moses. And this is what he says in chapter three, verse six. He says this, and then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Do you see why we started with the reminder of the promises? Because God is also reminding Moses of who he is, where he's come from, and the promise he has for him. One of the first things God says is, let me remind you of who I am. I am the God that gave this promise to your forefathers. And the minute Moses heard that, he became fearful and realized who God was and who he was dealing with. So that's verse six. And if you fast forward to verse 14, they have an interaction. God's talking to Moses and Moses says, God, if I go back to the Israelites, you're asking me to go back and free them. Who do I say sent me? And this is what God replied in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So God has just started a conversation with Moses to say, I want you to be the one to go deliver the Israelites out of slavery. Moses is fearful and he says, who, who am I saying sent you? And this is how God replied. And this is a relatively uh, familiar verse, one that we're gonna chew on in the weeks to come because there's all kinds of stuff for us to hold. 
But this is in the original language. This is what it means when God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. And this is what it is in the Hebrew. Aya, asher, aya. And basically what God is saying is this is what it means. I will be what I will be. That's what that means. God says to Moses, who am I? I will be what I will be. It's like he's saying, my nature, my character will become evident to you from my actions. And I think sometimes we skip over the significance of what this could be. God is essentially saying, who am I? Look at, look at who I've already been to you. Look at who I was to Abraham. Look at who I was to Isaac. Look at who I was to Jacob. That is who I am. I will be what I will be for you is essentially what he's saying. Everything in God's character, everything in how he has cared and purposed a plan for his people is I am. It's, there's so, such significance and why it's so important to understand the, tra the tradition and the legacy of the story of the promise is because all of that is summarized in when God says, I am. It's all of that. That's who I am. And that's who sends you to do this task of epic proportion. Essentially, God is saying, the one who carries out his promises is the one who's sending you, Moses. And this is true of us today too. God is saying to each of us today, I will be what I will be for you. So we, we have a responsibility. We have an opportunity to look back on the foundation of the promises of God in our life. This is how we know who God is, is to look back and imagine him, put your name where he says to Moses, my character will become evident through my actions, Carmen. See, we don't often always know our purpose or our identity. Maybe we can relate to the story of Moses where he doesn't know where to find himself. He gets all the power and the privileges of Egyptians, but he's not one of them. But by race and nationality, he's one of the Israelites, but he's not one of them. And he's a little bit aimless and he's a little bit wandering and he's in hiding and he's fearful because of this terrible thing that he's done. And yet there is a purpose and a plan and a name for him and a call on his life. We don't always know either where we fit, what the next step is. My gosh, this pandemic has thrown so much of that up in the air for all of us. But it is stamped on us the same way it is stamped on Moses's life. See, we get this incredible privilege of, of getting the whole story, don't we? We get the like, yeah, this is how Moses was born and this is what he did and this is when he was in the wilderness and he killed someone and it was awful and God spoke to him. But then we have the privilege of seeing how the whole thing plays out and the highs and the lows and the challenges of when they're in the wilderness and the ways that God shows up in miracle after miracle after miracle and how God fulfills the promise by taking the Israelites into the promised land. But Moses didn't have that. He had this moment of not knowing who he truly was, standing before God, and God is saying to him, I will be what I will be for you. You can know who I am because of what I've already been. And that is true for us too. 
And so if you're in a space of saying, I don't fully know if I can trust God, or I don't fully know all of who I am or what's sorted, or I have these pieces of me that are kept hidden, or I feel like I'm kind of straddling two worlds, and we say, God, where are you? Who are you? How do you show up? God says, look at who I've already been for you, and you can know the truth of who I am for you right now in this moment. And the truth of who God is for you is a foundation of a promise of goodness and faithfulness to be true to you. The story continues, and we're gonna have to skip a bit in this for the sake of time, but I don't wanna miss over this part. If you jump to chapter four for just a minute, Moses and God are continuing in this interaction. And let's just say it was a robust conversation. It's not like God came and said, Moses, I have this job for you. And Moses says, okay, that sounds great. Let's go do it. Moses kept questioning God and saying, but I can't do that. I, I can't be the one to go save my people from, his, from slavery. That is a big job and it is a scary job and I'm not the person you need. And they go back and forth and God shows up for Moses. He does miracle after miracle. He speaks to him. He shows him. And in verses, or chapter four, uh, verses one to five, Moses is still not sure if he's the one. And he says, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord didn't appear to you. And the Lord said to Moses, what is in your hand? A staff, he said. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and it ran from him. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Mo the real miracle would be me ever touching a snake's tail, but that's beside the point. Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, you're sensing a theme here, right? He has appeared to you. Like God literally does this miracle for Moses. And what does Moses do just a few verses later? In verse 10, he says this, Moses said to the Lord, pardon me, but I've never been eloquent, neither now or in the past. And since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. So even after like miracle after miracle, Moses still is saying, I'm not good enough to be the one to go. <laughs> it's almost like he's grasping at straws at this point and saying, I can't even speak good enough. And it's like, what's it gonna take, Moses? The God of the universe has appeared to you over and over and you're still stuck in an identity that tells you you're not enough to do the thing that God has for you to do. And Moses almost missed out on being a part of the trajectory of history changing, the fulfillment of this promise for his people because of his own distorted identity. And let me tell you, we as a people tend to get stuck in our own distorted identities from time to time, don't we? But let me tell you that this is true. The slide may have come up. Identity is not greater than the promise of God. Whatever you believe to be true of yourself is not greater than the promise of God. The promises of God for you, the words that he has for you, the purpose he has for you is more steady and more firm than the things we choose to often live out of ourselves and believe in ourselves and call ourselves. And we see this play out for Moses. But God used Moses to be part of the rescue plan and God's covenant promise continued forward even though it looked like it took a little bit of a blip in these years of slavery and oppression through Moses. 
And as we wrap up, I want to talk about that rescue plan because it didn't stop with Moses. It didn't stop as they went through the wilderness. It continued. And this is the part of the series where we talk about Jesus because it isn't just about Moses. It's about how Moses points to Jesus and how Moses is pointing to that covenant promise, which actually then became available for all people. And it's talking about that rescue plan that Moses was used for is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And it's no accident that Moses parallels Jesus. It's not just like, oh, that's neat. That's cool. Look how many similar. No, we're meant to see the story of scripture and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. In this chart, we'll go through it so quickly. These are some of the parallels that we see in scripture. And the book of Matthew, which is in the New Testament, is the one that most clearly is weaving together how Moses points to Jesus. And you can see some of the similarities there that are meant to be uh, an indicator for us that Moses starts the rescue plan but Jesus is the greatest fulfillment of the covenant promise of God. I'm not gonna read them all to you, but you can see them there. And what we're meant to understand that while Moses was used to deliver people from Egypt and Moses was used to start to push against the power of a nation uh, through Pharaoh, this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus modeled an undoing of Egypt but in its entirety by undoing slavery, saying there is freedom for all people from slavery, bondage, the things that hold each of us back. Jesus came to model a way that broke down power, that broke down empire, that said, I came to subvert all of that. My way isn't a way of power. My way isn't a way of hierarchy and structure. And Jesus is the ultimate deliverer, the one who brings freedom for all of us. Yes, maybe from like, a, you know, we see the, beautiful, the story of the Israelites and the slavery they lived in, but in so many ways, that's true of us too. The things that hold us back, the things that hold us down, Jesus brings rescue. And that is the, the story for us today, that whatever we're stuck in or behind or straddling, Jesus brings rescue. Jesus came to save. In some ways, Jesus came to save us from ourselves because maybe we're more like the empire than we are the ones caught in slavery. And Jesus says to us too, it's not about power. It's not about hierarchy. It's not about being an empire over anyone. And if we're doing any layer of oppression, God says to us, that's not the way either. Jesus came to bring freedom from all of it. And as we close, I just wanna take a breath and pause and go back to those words of verse 14, where God said to Moses, I am. And that sentiment of my nature will be evident from my actions. And God says this to you today. What are his actions? What are his actions for you? Ultimately, it's the action of sacrificial love that can change your life. It changes the way we live. What Jesus came to do changes how we can live. But more specifically in your own life, I want, you to, I want to leave us all with this question. What is the undercurrent of God's promise in your story? What's that, what's that promise? What are the words God has spoken to you in the past, at times in your life that maybe you've forgotten about, but they're still there as that undercurrent of like, God is faithful. God has promised me this. God has shown his faithfulness by doing this. Each of us has a different part of that story. Just like we started today looking at the foundation of God's promises for the Israelites, I want you to think about the foundation of God's promise for you. 
because that is who God is for you today. That's, how, that's his I am for you today. God's promise for you far exceeds any identity or label or path you think your life is taking. And it's true of us as a church too. It feels like we're straddling, like we maybe have lost our identity, like we're in the wilderness. And God says to us as a church, my actions, my character will be evident through my actions. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are a God of faithfulness and a God of promise and that you love us enough that you have uh, made a covenant promise with your people, with us, to be present for us and to be faithful with us. And I pray that by your spirit, even now in this moment, we're, we're becoming aware of the name you have given us, the call you have given us, and the promises that you have uh, made faithful in each of our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen.